this is the last week of our Heaven and Hell series, and uh, I hope that you've had a lot of fun uh, as we've walked through these truths about Heaven and Hell. Uh, we, we finally come to the end in our second part uh, where we want to talk about the difficult subject uh, of hell. And, and last week I said that, that uh, heaven is a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, hell is not so much fun because when we talk about hell and when we talk about heaven, we're not just talking about doctrines that sort of exist in a vacuum. We're talking about real people. Uh, we're talking about real places. We're talking about real reality. Uh, and so we must address these important subjects with, uh, with concern, with uh, sensitivity, uh, and, and with, with uh, tons and tons of, of grace and the love of the gospel. And uh, we attempted to do that last week when we talked about hell. And uh, it's interesting that uh, in a week where we talked about hell, but we framed it in terms of how salvation is made available to all of us through Christ, uh, we got more positive feedback of just experiencing the love and the presence of God from last week uh, than we had in a number of other weeks uh, previous. And so we want to do the same thing today. Uh, I'm going to offer you a a few short thoughts uh, on another way of of seeing and viewing hell biblically. Uh, And then we're just going to spend some time in communion and uh, singing together, and just ex- experiencing the presence of God uh, together. So that's, that's our goal uh, this morning. Uh, if you've missed any of the weeks, they're all available on our website to stream or download. You can go to the iTunes store, uh, search for Emmaus Road. Our podcast will be there where you can listen to it uh, in iTunes and, and, and load it into all your uh, iDevices uh, and, and just have really easy access to catch up on all of the uh, all of the podcasts, so we hope that you'll take advantage of that. Um, what, what I want to do is uh, uh, quickly review last week, uh, and then and then let's uh, jump into the, to this week. Last week, when talking about two views of hell, we, we talked about how the traditional view or uh, the first view of hell that we looked at is a view called uh, by by theologians called eternal conscious torment. Uh, and that is uh, the, the truth biblically that there, there seems to be a lot of evidence that anyone who chooses to reject Christ in this life, uh, in the next, will be in a state of, of, of torment and regret and judgment and punishment for all of eternity. Uh, and all of eternity is like forever, uh, like never ending. And so we, we learn this, uh, the, the Greek word that we often translate hell in English is the word Gehenna. We talked about a couple ways of understanding the word Gehenna. And, and what we realize is that there is, is pretty much a, a divide of either this way or this way. And so we can't really uh, get a true handle on, on what is a, a solid theology of hell just from that one word alone. And so we turn to Matthew 25, which actually doesn't use the word hell or Gehenna, but talks about eternal punishment. And, and we entered into the Greek classroom, and we learned two Greek words. Uh, one is colossus, which is the word punishment. And then one is the word aeonios, which is the English word uh, eternal. Uh, and, and, and we said that 
Colossus is, is really meaning punishment in that context, and there were a lot of reasons why we discovered that. And then aeonios is the word, English word eternal. Uh, it's, Jesus says some will go to eternal punishment and others to eternal life. And so if eternal life is forever, meaning like forever and ever, all of eternity, then we said, that in fact, uh, e- there's no reason to believe that eternal punishment wouldn't also be uh, the same. And so we, we did a lot of Greek uh, last week, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> At least I had fun. Uh, and, and, then, uh, and then we're going to do something similar today um, that I think will, will be helpful to you. Uh, so today I want to talk about a second view of hell. Uh, And this view is the view called annihilationism. Annihilationism. And uh, as we did last week before we jump into this teaching, uh, I feel like it would be appropriate to pray and to ask God's uh, wisdom as we open his word together. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the chance to gather together and uh, to, in a few moments, celebrate communion, uh, to remember the great gift of salvation that you've given to us. And Lord, um, to remind ourselves of your grace. And so Lord, I pray that in these moments, as we open up your word together, uh, that we would approach your word um, understanding its authority in our lives. And that we would also, Lord, uh, seek wisdom, uh, not just for understanding, but seek wisdom uh, that our lives might be changed. Uh, that our hearts might be shaped by your word. And so, Lord, help us uh, together, uh, corporately as a community, uh, as we do that together this morning. Lord, may our hearts uh, be attuned uh, to you, to your will, and to your wisdom. Uh, Be with us in these moments, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, So, annihilationism. Uh, annihilationism is, is really an interesting concept. It is the view that hell uh, is not conscious torment forever and ever, uh, but rather that when a person uh, who has rejected Christ in this life dies, annihilationism says that that person, uh, while entering a season of torment and punishment and regret, uh, is not left in that state forever and ever, Uh, but eventually reaches a point where they uh, spiritually and physically die, or that is to say that they cease to exist, or to put it in how this this framework is is thought of by the term, they are annihilated. Uh, And and so this is is a view that that is very close to the traditional view of hell, uh, but rather this, this says instead of going on to eternal punishment forever and ever and ever, uh, the eternal punishment only lasts for a season uh, or for a period of time that has a beginning and end uh, until that person finally ceases to exist, uh, both, both body and soul or spirit or however you want to think about the whole person, the whole human person. Uh, and, and so this view is also called conditionalism. Uh, because if you believe that hell is not forever and ever, uh, that it has a beginning and end, that it, that it leads to an eventual, uh, I cease to exist, then that would be to say that immortality is conditional upon faith in Christ. Are you with me? Isn't this fun already? <laughs> 
So annihilationism, was there a groan near the front row? I hope not. Uh, annihilationism or conditionalism, meaning uh, that uh, immortality is not something inherent to the human condition, but rather conditional upon faith in Christ. Uh, in, in fact, this has been the assumption of many Christians for a very long time, that everyone is immortal. Uh, it's just a question of where you spend eternity, right? Uh, and, and in fact, this is, uh, this is what I grew up with. This is probably what you grew up with. This is uh, an assumption that a lot of people have made is that uh, everyone is immortal. It's just a question of where you spend eternity. Uh, this view says that actually n- not everyone, the, the human condition is not one of inherent immortality, but rather immortality comes as a gift uh, through faith in Christ. Uh, and, and, and there we go. I could end it. And, and that's the whole view. Uh, so when you talk about sort of within the, the biblical realm of hell, one view is eternal conscious torment, eternal punishment, or one view is conditionalism, uh, which is very close. They're just saying, oh, this, this doesn't last forever. There, there comes a period of time uh, where that person uh, ceases to exist. And so that's, that's the whole teaching, and we could say, oh, that's great. Uh, but the fundamental question we have to ask is, is this biblical? Uh, what is the biblical evidence for, for such a view? And so in the same way that we walk, kind of walked through some, uh, some scriptures and some Greek words and all of that last week, I want to do the same this week uh, and, and move us through uh, an argument for or in favor of this in the same way that I argued for or in favor of eternal conscious torment. In other words, uh, some of you might come to the, to the end of the last two weeks and say, yes, but what does Pastor Andy think? Uh, and I uh, hope that that remains a mystery <laughs> at the end of these two weeks. Uh, in other words, my goal is to say, here's the biblical evidence. Uh, and rather than say, oh, this is what my pastor thinks, this is what I'm going to think, or uh, this is the view of our church or the view of our denomination. We're not preaching Uh, the view of our denomination. We're not preaching the view of our church. What we're saying is these are acceptable views of hell within this church, within our denomination, within Christianity, uh, because they both have biblical grounds, okay? Uh, And so that's why I don't want to dogmatically land on either side, Um, because I don't think think that uh, dogma is very good for anybody most any time. Okay, so, um, so what's the biblical evidence for conditional immortality? Well, let's, let's turn first, and, and you guys are going to have to, I'm going to read all these scriptures. Uh, if you have your smartphones, they're listed in your notes. I don't have the, uh, I, I don't have the uh, scriptures actually outlined there. They're just listed, uh, but they're, they're not quoted. Um, but uh, if you have there, otherwise you'll just need to listen closely. They're not going to be on the, on the screen or anything. Uh, but if you want to take notes, you can also write these down. But the, the, the first biblical evidence for conditional immortality comes from Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 22 and 23. And it says this. Uh, this is right after uh, Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit. They have disobeyed God. It is the event that is commonly known in Scripture as the fall, the fall of man that is the first record of of sin in the human story. Uh, And and this is the result of that. And then the Lord God said, the man, uh, that is the man and woman, uh, that's a gender-neutral man, the man has now become like one of us. 
knowing good and evil. And so he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. And so when we look at sort of the the effects of sin in our life, it seems to be that Genesis indicates that the effect of sin, one of the primary consequences of our fallenness and our brokenness before God is a loss of eternal life. Because they have done this, they will no longer be able to reach out their hand and eat from the tree of life and live forever. They will know that is something they cannot do any longer. And so the result of sin seems to be in this passage the loss of eternal life or the loss of immortality. The tree of life, uh, the, the tree of life gives eternal life and then they are banished from it in the garden and they are not allowed to eat from the tree of life anymore. Now compare that then to you move to the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, and it says, Blessed are those who have washed their robes. That is imagery for placing our faith in Christ. Those who have have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, those who have been washed of their sin through faith in Christ, blessed are those who have washed their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. And so if you were to uh, take sin out of the Bible, you would have the first two chapters of of. Uh, Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation. Everything else is God dealing with the sin issue. And in Genesis chapter 3, he seems to say that there is a loss of immortality or eternal life because of sin, and that is then restored to those who have placed their faith in Christ at the very end of the book in Revelation 22. Are you with me? And so maybe this assumption that we've made all along that immortality is something inherent to the human condition maybe isn't so biblical. This, this theme is carried then throughout Scripture where eternal life is given as a gift to those who place their faith in Christ and it is something for those that is lost for those who remain in sin. Because before we come into Christ, we remain in sin. And, and I, I, that's a... That's a fundamental truth of the Christian faith. And I don't know where you're at in your faith today. And I don't know kind of what explorations of faith that you've been on. But the reality is, is that we, if we have not accepted Christ, we stand condemned in sin. And then the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to be condemned in sin anymore. The good news of the the gospel is that we are condemned already before we enter into faith in Christ. But the good news is that Christ has made a way for all of us to enter into eternal life. And so let's see this theme carried out throughout scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. It says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. This is the the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. For he has saved us, and he's called us to a holy life. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed to us through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life 
and immortality to light in the gospel. The Apostle Paul speaks about the the power of the grace of God and he frames the grace of God as something that is revealed to us or given to us in Jesus Christ and then he gets very specific and he says the grace of God is this, that life and immortality have been brought to life in the gospel or have been brought to light. In the gospel. In other words, without the gospel, we don't know what real life is. We don't know what abundant life is. We may be able to touch it, we may be able to get evidence of it, but entering into faith in Christ, the one who made us, our creator, the one who desires relationship with us, that is when we enter into and real life and immortality are brought to light. And so the Apostle Paul is saying that in the gospel, immortality is is made clear and brought to light. Are you with me still? This is very interesting when you begin to study this through Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Many of you, if you grew up in the church, have probably memorized this passage. You may not recognize the address or where it's found, but once I say it, you'll probably know it if you grew up in the church. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, for it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This frames salvation, eternal life, uh, that which we have in Christ as a gift, not something that we inherit, had inherently, not something that the immortality was just something that we had, but rather salvation is a gift from God through faith, not by works, not so that no one can boast. In other words, we're all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. It's just a matter of do we place our faith in the one who has paved the way for us. And then we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53. We touched on this passage last week as well, or in this series. Uh, and it says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But listen, I tell you a great mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Or we could add the words with the mortal must clothe itself with immortality. What Paul is, is doing in 1 Corinthians 15 is he's teaching us what we've taught in this in this series that, that ultimately our hope is bodily resurrection in God's new world. That's where this thing is headed. It's not headed to where us sort of floating off into somewhere up in the sky where we get wings and a halo and all and we and we and we learn how to play the harp. Uh, where this thing is headed is where we where we are bodily resurrected in God's renewed or resurrected world. Paul is saying that and he's saying then at the final resurrection the, the mortal must clothe itself with immortality, which seems to imply that immortality at some point has been lost. And so there seems to be this thread or this common theme throughout Scripture that places eternal life, immortality as a gift from God, not something inherent to the human condition. Well, then... This idea then that uh, the other part of conditionalism or annihilationism is that, that, you are, that, that the, the person who rejects Christ 
is ultimately destroyed or ultimately ceases to exist or is annihilated. And we must ask then the question, is there any scriptural evidence for this? Uh, okay, immortality, something that's not inherent to the human condition, but gifted to the person upon faith in Christ. But is this idea of being uh, leading to destruction or being destroyed or perishing, is this uh, an idea that is consistent uh, with Scripture? And I want to offer you some uh, scriptural evidence uh, for this as well. And uh, basically, my sermon today is reading a lot of passages of Scripture to provide a framework uh, that, that would seem to lend evidence uh, to this viewpoint. So let's look at these passages uh, of Scripture together. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is another one that if you grew up in the church, you probably have memorized. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. The word for death here is the word thanatos. It's the Greek word thanatos. Uh, this, this word thanatos has a number of possible meanings. Uh, it, it, mean, it could mean death as a, as a power. Uh, sometimes Paul talks about sin not as a particular sin act or an act, a sinful act, but sometimes the Apostle Paul talks about sin as a power in our lives. Uh, sin as a power in our lives is what people are, are referring to when they say the devil made me do it, right? It's that power inside of us that draws us away from the, the will of God. That's the power of sin. It's not necessarily a sinful act or a particular sinful act, uh, but it's the power of sin being worked out in our life. Well, the power of sin leads to this idea of the power of death. And, and that's what this is, that's the word here, thanatos, for, for the cost or the wage of sin is the power of death in your life. <clears throat> Make sense? Maybe not really, but sort of, okay? If we're sort of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Uh, so the, that's the word thanatos. It could mean the, the, the death as a power. It could mean death. Uh, of body and soul, or it could be uh, a metaphor for a miserable existence in hell. Uh, and that's an exact quote from, from Strong's Dictionary, which is like a Greek dictionary. And, you know, trust me, you don't want one of those. Um, and so, interesting, interesting enough, uh, this is the same word, thanatos, that is used in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that we just read where Paul says that through Jesus, uh, he has destroyed death, thanatos. And so, so Paul in Romans says that the cost of our sin is this death in our life. And then Paul in 1 Timothy says that through Jesus, he has destroyed that death. Isn't that good news? I mean, this is, when we begin to understand the Greek language and we look at it in all of these different nuances and we see the same Greek words happening, even when maybe different English words are happening, we realize uh, the weight of what Paul is talking about in the scripture and how God is speaking through his word. And so I want to emphasize today that regardless of where you're at spiritually, the good news 
is that whatever death we've experienced in our life, through Jesus, it has been reversed. That's the good news of the gospel. That on our own and given to our, the own way of our heart, we will go against God. We will walk down the road of death. But in Jesus, that death has been reversed and death has turned in to resurrection. That's the good news of the gospel. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many will enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few Find it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 20. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And and just as you have uh, us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Uh, For as often as I have told you uh, before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And their destiny is destruction. Uh, And their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame, but their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Be afraid of the one. Uh, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 10, verses 25 through 28, uh, Jesus answered, I, I, I did tell you, but you did not believe. For the, for the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Uh, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. But my sheep listen to my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. For no one will snatch them out of my hand. With the exception of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that uses the word thanatos, all the rest of these, when it talks about perishing, or death, or destruction, is using one Greek word. And it's it's the Greek word apolumi. Apolumi is used 86 times in the New Testament. And when we're trying to, dis- to discover a particular meaning of a Greek word, uh, it, it works in our favor the fewer times that it's used. So 86 times presents a difficulty of interpretation. Uh, remember some of the Colossus punishment is used only four other times, or three other times, Rather, other than in Matthew chapter 25. So four times in the entire New Testament. Uh, Apolumi is used 86 times. Uh, but translations for this word include death, perish, ruin, bring to an end, lose, destroy. And it has a broad scope of meaning. In other words, sometimes it talks about a, a king going and killing someone, Apolumi. But sometimes then we, we get these, in, in context, we, we begin to get a, a, a sense that it could mean a, a deeper kind of death, a deeper kind of destruction, the kind of destruction that would lead someone to cease to exist. 
Uh, and that is when in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy, apolumi, both soul and body in hell. When we come to these sorts of passages in those types of contexts, we realize that the scope of meaning can, can mean sort of just a bodily death. This person died. But we can also, it can also mean a much greater form of death, an absolute destruction, a, a total destruction of the person. And so when we talk about this idea of annihilationism, it has two main ideas. One, that immortality is not inherent to the human condition, but is a gift given through faith in Christ. And that two, those who reject Christ don't go on to a future of uh, eternal conscious torment forever and ever, uh, but rather enter a season after life where they are in torment, but the effect of sin plays out fully in their lives where they will eventually cease to exist. That's the view. Let me offer some some closing thoughts, not only on this view, but also on the series as a whole. Uh, Many of you may find this viewpoint, conditionalism, annihilationism, Absolutely, you might repel against it with all that is in you. Uh, And you might say this is heresy to say that the human condition is not one of inherent immortality. Uh, And I understand that. Others of you may find this view quite favorable because it, uh, it seems to answer the question of how can a loving God allow eternal torment in hell forever and ever? And this answers that question by saying, actually, it's not forever and ever. That person will eventually cease to exist. Soul, body, spirit, everything destroyed. Um, And the the closing thoughts I, I, I want to say about this is that it would be easy for us to think that this view arises out of an emotional response. Uh, simply not wanting eternal conscious torment to be true. Uh, and if that's, if that's where you're at today and you say, you know, we, if, you have a, if you have trouble with a mean God, then you just need to get your heart right and, and just let God be God and you're not him and just get over it. Uh, and any kind of view that creates a soft God is is uh, a view that arises out of, out of emotional uh, response rather than biblical criticism. Uh, and, and let me just offer to you that this view arises from, from careful, uh, careful and scholarly uh, studies of the scripture and its original meaning and its original context and its original language. And so this passage of scripture or this view of hell does not arise out of sort of an emotional response of not wanting God uh, to be the really big mean guy that just sends people to hell forever and ever. 
but rather arises out of a desire to really understand his word. Uh, And in fact, you'll find, and what, what I found when I studied this, is that many theologians that hold this view uh, once previously held the traditional view of hell, uh, but after studying the scripture, moved to uh, understanding this view of hell. Uh, you'll also find that this view is, is not a new view. Uh, in light of Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, uh, where uh, it was understood that, that God is actually just a really big, nice guy and doesn't have a mean side to him, uh, and, and there were all kinds of things that came out in that book. Uh, we, one might be tempted to think that actually this is just sort of a new thing because we're just really, really trying to lose the, the mean side of God and we're, we're trying to get you know, a hold of the, the good side of God. Uh, there are some of the apostolic church fathers, uh, and we call them the apostolic church fathers because they had direct content or direct, direct um, uh Somebody give me the word. Connection? That's fine. Direct connection to the people that knew Jesus. Uh, so they are not, they're not removed generations and generations from the time of Jesus, but rather were church fathers who had direct contact with Jesus and his followers that believed and held this view. Uh, so it's not a new thing. The other thing is uh, I, want, I would want you to understand that both views are considered to be within the scope of proper biblical interpretation. So in other words, I want to say at the end what I said at the beginning. If you hold to the view of eternal conscious torment, that is fine. If you hold to the view of conditionalism or annihilationism, that is fine. Uh, There's room for both of these views in terms of understanding scripture. And both have well-respected pastors and theologians that hold these views. And I would want to reiterate what I said last week. Uh, if, if, if you are here and you're asking, why in the world would we spend two weeks talking about this? It doesn't have anything to do with my real life. Uh, then I would, I, would under, I, would, I would challenge you to understand the ways in which it touches your everyday life. That there are people around you uh, that right now, instead of being saved by the grace of God through faith, are right now already stand condemned in their sin. And they need the love and grace of the Savior. And whether their, whether their path is leading them ultimately to torment that lasts forever or torment that leads to the destruction of their being, we must realize that neither one of these are good outcomes. Right? In fact, when, when, I, when I was reading some of the, some of the in researching and, and some of the people don't like conditionalism because it seems to uh, say, oh, actually hell's not that bad because it doesn't last forever. I just think, really? Really? It seems pretty bad to me. Uh, and so we must live in light of heaven. We must live in light of heaven. Uh, let, me, let me close this series uh, in what will be to date the shortest sermon on my record. <laughs> let me close the series. Um, for a long, long time, 
the central message of Christianity has been hell avoidance. Uh, that is to say that I grew up in a world, and I think you grew up in a world, at least for the past couple generations, that Christianity was primarily something to get you out of hell. And I think that is absolutely tragic. That it is time for the people of God, and it is time for the church to recognize that the salvation offered to us in Christ is not about primarily avoiding hell. It is about the hope that we have in Jesus. It is about the fact that in Jesus, heaven came to earth And Jesus, using the vernacular and the language of the day, called it the kingdom of God. And he said, the kingdom of God is right now upon you. It is bursting forth all around you. If you will learn to see it, if you will have the perspective to recognize it, then you will see that while there is sin and destruction and evil in the world, there is also goodness and grace and forgiveness and kindness bursting forth all over the place. And that's the reality of the kingdom. That is the life that I'm offering you. I'm offering you a life where when someone hurts you, you're primary reaction of your heart is not just is not revenge but forgiveness because the real powers of the world don't come in a sword or a bullet they come in love and grace and forgiveness Jesus comes offering us an abundant life to live in light of heaven and I promise you, church, that we have neutered the gospel when we have said it is just about avoiding hell. We have done a great disservice to the story that God gave us and the scriptures that he gives us when we say, it just put your faith in Jesus so you avoid that really bad place. We need to live in light of heaven, not live in fear of hell. That's what this is about. And that's why we spend time talking about it. And I know that there's probably a whole bunch of you that don't care one bit about Greek words. But I think you ought to know them. Or at least be familiar with them. Or at least hear him one time on a Sunday. Because then, what it helps us do is it helps us gain a better perspective on this. And what this book is really doing. Because it's offering to us a tremendous abundant life. Where Jesus says, I'm not going to I'm not going to keep you from every difficult thing happening in your life, but I'm going to walk through every difficult thing with you. And I may not be able to to keep the effects of sin like disease from, from inflicting your body. He can if he chooses to, but sometimes he doesn't always choose to. And he says, you don't need to understand everything, you just need to know me. 
And you need to know the hope that we have. But ultimately, the hope that I have for you is that there will come a day where disease will no longer rack your body. That there will come a day when revenge will no longer rule in your heart. Well, there will come a day where bitterness and the release where bitterness will be released. That there will come a day where you will be made whole in me. And the good news is that Jesus says, that's not just for the future. Let's start the project right now. Let's start the project right now. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.